You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, Stone Spring Maidens. Chapter 28 No Way Out Gabriella, Day 17 of Epona, Springfall, 1884 Inside, Penny stole through the deserted corridors. She realized too late that she was entirely uncertain of where to go. Checking the information plate beside the stairs, she found most of the labs were simply numbered, but Cal's name was attributed to a project on the third floor. That vague placement would have to do. She paced forward, holding her left arm up, ready to shield herself. A figure emerged from the stairwell, and Penny threw out her right arm, readying a crystalline shock pulse. The interloper turned a tear-stained face towards her. It was Cal. I need help. Donna's out cold, and that man is about to do something terrible. Lead me straight to him. Penny commanded. Cal blinked and sniffed for a moment, then nodded and went back up the way she had come. Penny paused, uncertain as to how Harry might find her, then fished in her pocket and retrieved her mint green lipstick. She drew an X on the floor and another on the door of the stairs, then followed Cal, leaving a clear trail as she went. Calendula whispered as they reached the third floor. He'll kill us both. Penny was now shivering with adrenaline overload. She was scared, absolutely, but something else had a grip of her, and the fact that Cal was assisting, as she instructed, seemed to strengthen that sensation. Through her insistence, Cal had explained the project to Penny, and what they were moving towards. She focused on staying in the here and now, though she could feel anxiety in the background and the trauma of all of this threatening to send her into an uncontrollable seizure. She employed breathing exercises to keep the episode at bay, but she knew this was simply a matter of time, not control. It was coming for her. She just had to hold it off as long as possible. They rounded the corridor, and a sight she would never forget met her eyes. Twelve Elaine Imperial Guards lay strewn about, their limbs at odd angles. More Mandarin blood splashed against the floor and the walls. Soft groans could be heard. Many of them still lived, but none could stand. A solitary attacker had carved through their ranks with deadly efficiency, showing mercy where possible, but leaving every single Elaine down. Stepping through this tangle of defeated protectors, they saw the cause of all of this. White stood with his back to them. In front of him was an observation window. At his feet was an unbuckled haversack filled with what looked manifestly like crude, timed explosives. Through the window, a large room full of women had formed a wall between him and what was behind them. One lady, and Elaine, bent to pick something up and turn it around to face white. It was a newborn infant, 
with slightly pointed ears. Another of the women, a human, leant down to pick hers up. He had darker skin but the same ears. She also looked at White and held her child up to her breast, turning a shoulder, ready to shield his tiny body. As one, the group responded in the same way, cradling their babies in their arms and staring directly at this pale spectre, its unsheathed crescent sword glinting in the moonlight. Sir! Penny called out. Quiet. I'm thinking. Thomas. She redoubled her emphasis. White's shoulders stiffened. Thomas Arlington. Penny continued, her voice as steady as she could muster. Husband of Sarah Arlington, father of Truth, Harriet, and Frederick. White moved his head, his armored chest rising and falling. Named for Sir Jenna Truth, Harriet Tubman, and Frederick Douglass, three immensely courageous and forthright people from your world, whom you admire and respect. Now White did turn to look at her. The expression in his eyes beneath the mask was almost one of pleading. Was she being asked to cease or continue? Would those forthright people, would your daughters, son and wife, ever entertain the notion of what you were planning to do here tonight? She thought back on all the stories Harry had shared with her in their long evenings together. All the pains of the past and hopes for the future. I have no time left. White murmured. No choice. Some measures aren't worth the dire cost. He looked back at the mothers, who met his gaze with quiet determination. I can only see the dangers, the man said softly. It has been so hard to envisage a future without them. He turned and moved slowly but deliberately towards Calendula, his eyes narrowing as he brought the blade up to her throat. Penny felt a desperate urge to reach across and turn the sword away. Cal shrank against the wall, paralyzed with terror, as she tried to keep her footing without treading on the fallen Elaine. When I am trapped here, there is no escape this time. The wind door at Langley will now be far too heavily guarded. But I always knew it was to be a one-way journey. There's... there's a second window. Cal stammered. It's in this building. Son of a bitch, I knew it. White growled, whirling his katana back into its scabbard. He cricked his neck, rolling his shoulders, and grasped the handles of the haversack. Take me to it. As you wish. Cal gasped. Follow me.
Angela led Mr. White to a pair of brass doors with a fish-scale textured pattern. Penny followed. At the push of a button, the doors parted and the three of them stepped inside. White was frowning at the enclosed space and tensing for swift retaliation, but Cal motioned with her hands in a supplicant fashion, imploring for him to maintain control. She moved to the keyhole below the round buttons on the left-hand side, fumbling frantically with her fob of keys until there was a click. The metal cubicle began to descend into the cellar of Aphrodite. In the centre of a wide, darkened space with a spotlight shining upon it, a tall, silver, ornately detailed cabinet stood riveted to the stone floor. From inside it, a familiar rushing could be heard. Cal moved into the light and unlocked it, revealing the tear of a wind door inside. How is this here? White demanded, a cold fury laying spikes upon his words. Your Dr. Penrose was instructed to open the second point of contact when the terms of binary dawn were agreed upon last Artemis, uh, August. It's not known to many of us. But enough of you were aware of it to organize this second deal with McPherson. So, where will this lead me? Calendula quailed under his gaze. To... Uh, it opens out in a warehouse near Mount Vernon Square. Is the door guarded on my side? Yes. Will they be expecting me? No. White put down the haversack as he regarded the two women. He shifted his stance ever so slightly. Cal's eyes dropped to the hilt of that sword, and she could barely contain her visible trembling. The underground room was silent, save for the wind door, as White considered his course of action. I will take you with me, he said to Cal, who buckled in fear at the words. And you he intoned to Penny, are not to allow anyone to follow us, or the life of your colleague here will be forfeited. If I see one Elaine... Wait. Penny interrupted him. She was amazed to have spoken up and could barely get the words out to follow this. It makes a great deal more sense if you take me instead of her. Explain. I don't work here. Penny said, holding herself rigidly in check. This is the first time I've been in this building. You'll need someone who knows the layout to oversee the aftermath upstairs and to distract everyone from coming down here. Who are you? White demanded, his eyes narrowing. I, uh, I recognize you from the vault at Langley. I'm just her wife. But that being the case, you know she won't risk my life and will cover for you so that she can see me safely return. I'm sure she can guarantee no Elaine will follow us. Calendula looked across, a depth of gratitude in her eyes, mingled with extreme concern. Your plan is sound, White replied. Pink may go. Green comes with me. And with this he gripped Penny's wrist, and they stepped through the wind door together, leaving Calendula on her own. She stood, shaking, and trying to work out what to do. Did Penny have a plan? Who were the people she came with? 
Wait a moment. No Elaine will follow us. Cal left the cabinet wide open and ran for the elevator. Once the attackers had been repelled, Harry and her companions had pushed through into the ground floor. She called out to Penny, only to get an echo back. They hurried along the first corridor, Harry stooping once again to avoid busting through the ceiling in her now battered suit. Look! Look! cried Ganny, cradling his arm and directing the splayed fingers downward towards a green lipstick X on the floor. Harry felt a great swell from within at this cleverness and clocked a second X on the nearby door. She flipped her visor for clearer vision and made a mental note to work on some kind of magnification lenses. They followed the trail up the stairs, only to find Agent Lee pushing the doors open on the first floor. Even with what she had been told about this woman on the journey here, Harry was surprised into defensiveness and reeled backwards down the stairwell, almost knocking Attar over. I could not stop White, said Lee distantly. Neither could Yaku. She gestured back down the corridor to the still form of the old man. Sensei. Harry barged forwards and crouched over him, afraid to touch in case she did more damage. Lee moved in and knelt. I put him in a safe, comfortable position. But he was injured in our fight with my former director. Where is he? Where's Penny? They're in your world now. A voice came from down the way. Calendula hurried towards them from the opening elevator. How did they get back to the window so fast? Did he sneak her past while we were fighting? There may still be time. There's a second door located in our lower level. Cal approached as Harry stood and cracked her helmet against an overhead light, swiping it aside angrily. Calendula flinched, afraid of being attacked again as she took in this imposing armored form so very different from the displaced girl she had admonished and humiliated just this morning in her secret apartment. Then she looked across at Lee. One of the prosthetic ear extensions the human had been wearing had fallen away during the fight. For once, Cal did not have time to feel betrayed. He's gone through and taken Penny, and I promised not to send any Elaine after him. She announced hurriedly. But I'm not Elaine. I think that's what Penny was driving at. You can save her. Take me there. Harry commanded. Wait. Agent Lee called as they began to move. The dark, armored figure turned to regard her. What? He will go to ground. Lee declared, holding her ribcage with the effort of standing and raising her voice. There is nowhere safe on the surface for him tonight in Washington. He's in the Nordstrom tunnels then. Harry reasoned, thinking back to her moments of staring into the darkness behind the bookcase. He walks far below us, said Lee, in a deep hidden vault. Go to the Lincoln Memorial, descend, find the main artery, run for three and a half kilometers until you meet three torches on the wall close together on the right. Pull the middle one. That's all I need to know. Thank you, Lee. Ganny piped up. We're coming too. All right. You said no Elaine, but... No! Cal cried, 
He'll murder Penny on the spot if he catches sight of a single pointed ear. She indicated Lee and Yagyu, who were stirring into consciousness. And these two are in no fit state to run. So it must be Arlington. And Arlington alone. Harry. The old man called faintly. Yes, Master Yagyu? His stolen armor can be removed if you know the right places. He is vulnerable underneath. I understand, Sensei, said Harry, stealing herself, then turning back to Calendula. Now, take me down. Truth Arlington was raiding the fishery over on the western side of the District of Columbia. Stone Company moved like a well-oiled machine, breaching the doorways and pouring into each room, methodically taking out those inside, scouring every known hideout and operation connected with Mr. White. This murderer must be found tonight. It would be somewhere quiet and dark and Truth was sure he would go down fighting. But they would trap him nonetheless, rain led against his frame. And when he lay broken upon the ground, she would put a bullet through each of those eyes. That mask would never come off, and they would bury the carcass deep, armor and all. White's time was done. At this point, a messenger arrived, panting. He's been spotted. Near Mount Vernon Square. Has a pale woman with him. Stole a police horse. Killed a dozen officers. And then we lost him. The messenger nodded. Near Franklin Park. How did you... I know where he's going. Are we heading back into the tunnels again? Her sergeant asked. We never found anything before. And who knows how far and how deep that labyrinth runs. There's secrets down there. Truth replied, checking over her Winchester and adjusting her armored coat. And I'm not coming back out into the daylight until they are sealed. You have been listening to episode 28 of Stonespring Maidens, No Way Out, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Penthesily Renwick, performed by Theo Lee. Agent Lee and Calendula Renwick, performed by Sharon Shaw. Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. Ganymede Ferron, performed by Felix Quist. Atar Rubens, performed by Orion Richardson. Messenger, performed by Mackenzie Eastrom. Sergeant, performed by Jesse Ferguson. Mr. White, Master Yagyu, and narration by Alex Shaw. Make your decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Long Note 3, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes, including Blighted Farm, The Strange, A New Beginning, New Orleans Noir, and Submerged by Tabletop Audio. 
Stone Spring Maidens is available in a gorgeous paperback from Amazon.com, along with the previous nine stories from the New Century Multiverse, and the three newest, Panther Soul, Nightfall of the Wendigo, and Back in Time Plus Space. You should be listening to Through the Wind Door. If you can't support us on Patreon, but would like to contribute to this show, then a review on iTunes, or of one of the books on Amazon, would absolutely help us move forward. It takes five minutes, and it means the world. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our top-tier sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, and Valencia Burns.